Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Every bunny loves honey glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Brought to you by the all-new crossover, Toyota CHR. Edgy, stylish, and fun to drive. Visit toyota.com slash c-hr to learn more. Embrace the unexpected. This is Forbes Sports Money on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Mike Ozanian. This show is all about the business of sports. Hey, everybody. This is Laurel, the executive producer for Forbes Podcasts. Please enjoy this terrific interview between Mike and David Stern, the former commissioner of the NBA. They sat down together in early June. David, what's the overriding theme we're seeing right now in sports? Well, I think the overriding thing is every theme is everything that technology can do, it seems it will do, and the leagues and the colleges and fans are embracing every aspect of it. And it's changing, in a way, the way we enjoy our sports and the way we watch our games. Is it about personalization? I think that's a major theme. You can do anything you want to do. If you want to watch the game, you want to watch it in auto, with uh, virtual reality, you can have your choice. Put on your head-mounted display or some other variation, and you can watch it in a virtual reality. You want to be assisted by... Artificial intelligence or machine learning to pick it up, go ahead and tune in. Uh, you want to stream it as opposed to watch it on TV, you can stream it. You want to somehow uh, get a, a, a data display that you couldn't even imagine and have no idea what you'd do with all the data, you can get some, you know, some wearable technology to tell you about heartbeat lactic acid buildup, uh, hydration, blood pressure, and eventually facial recognition so you can know when, <laughs> when the player says, get me out of here, or maybe the coach will know it. So it's, it's actually kind of fun. And, uh, you know, one of the companies with which I'm involved, Sportscaster Live, uh, just allows you to call the game, call your own game, and eventually, when it syncs up with feeds from the leagues, you're going to be able to cut out announcers you don't like or don't want to listen to, and you can either substitute yourself or someone else who announces that he's calling the game. And that's about as personal as you can get. And, and I guess the networks are dealing with that as well in a good way because they're streaming alternative feeds so you can, in effect, direct your own game. If you don't like the fact that the director always gives you the center view from uh, 15 rows up and you want a courtside camera, you can switch to that or an end zone camera or a different slash angle. So it's, it's a heyday for fans and the personalization of their games. Did you see any of this coming during your three decades as commissioner? Because I'm, I'm going back. I mean, it, I think when you started, it wasn't even. It was before cable, no, and then you that's saw right. where that's we right. are today. There is a there is a continuity. I I I don't. 
I don't tend to talk about the disruption idea as much or the transformation as much as the evolution because it depends where you started. When I began, we had three broadcast networks and sort of it, and then we had, you know, people don't even know that there was a time before ESPN. A time before ESPN? Really? Yeah. And it wasn't before the flood. It was in the 1970s. And uh, I remember making the first cable deal with USA Network. There were four million homes in 1979 that had cable. And that was a big deal. And everyone was saying broadcast was dead. Hold that thought for a while. And then after cable came satellite. We made a satellite deal. And after satellite came digital cable. And after digital cable became the ability to go on social media. And so now the NBA is deeply embedded in Instagram and Snapchat and Twitter and Facebook and you name it. And so, and, and actually, the NBA began streaming its league pass a long time ago. So it was not, it's not a new development in the case of the NBA. We began doing that a long time ago. Uh, and in fact, we even began experimenting years and years ago with Turner having separate feeds so you could watch different aspects of the game. So all of this, what, what is new and what is a huge rush is everybody has their own app of some kind. And this wearable technology, uh, I think, is going to I think it's going to drown us in information, but it's going to be interesting. Major League Baseball, advanced media does it. The NFL does it. Of course, the NBA does it. The NHL does it. It's, uh, and now they're starting to do it in high school. <laughs> so I, you know, I could go on forever. It's just, I don't, I don't know that I predicted any of it, but none of it is shocking to me because it seems to be on the spectrum of just taking advantage of all advances in technology. One of the things I remember hearing as all of these changes have happened, particularly when cable came to the forefront, was that you're going to sort of uh, block out or eliminate some of the fans who don't have that. And that, that sort of seems to be the, the theme that people have said for you know, years. I mean, and that therefore you're going to lose fans. Yet the opposite seems to be happening. The leagues, uh, as this is evolving, the leagues seem to be gaining and growing their audience. What's happening is that the audience is splintering a bit, but in its aggregate, it's getting larger because everyone can watch what they want to watch. I mean, for example, uh, two years ago, I think it was, ESPN did a package for the World Cup of Cricket. Now, you would say, what, what's that about in the United States? Well, they got 60,000 people to pay $99 a piece for their World Cup of Cricket. So if you want a sort of a view into the future, Let's say of the Olympics, you want to watch equestrian, go ahead. If you're a big curling fan, here's your little package. If you're a, uh, you know, if you want to be a Tour de France f fan, you can have not only the tour, but as many hours as you care to eat <laughs> of everything cycling. And so I think it's really good for fans, and they're going to bring, they're going to bring more fans in with these various treats. Some are going to want what's uh, what virtual reality offers. Some are going to want what personalization of a different type offers. I think it's all, all good for sports. And in fact, we're in an era now where, you know, I have two thoughts. One is the most recent events 
are everyone's talking about over-the-top services, and all of these so-called skinny bundles all have sports, which tells you something about sports viewing. And when AT&T announces it's going to acquire Time Warner, Time Warner has this powerhouse called TNT, and TBS to an extreme because they share across their networks the NCAA, but they have the NBA and they have baseball and they have other golf and they have other sports. So I think sports is very, very important and it's going to remain important. In your retirement, David, you've gotten involved in consulting, venture capital, startups. Uh, in terms of consulting, one of the things I've read is people are asking you, trying to figure out exactly what is going on, these larger media companies and the consulting firms. What is it exactly that they're having the most difficult uh, time with? Perhaps that's the way to word it, in terms of figuring out. Well, I think the answer is yesterday, PricewaterhouseCoopers issued its uh, media report. It's a five-year media report projecting the, the global media environment and the various growth. Uh, it's a mammoth undertaking. Uh, I was at the release yesterday. I am a, I'm a senior advisor at PwC. And they just are trying to analyze for their fans for their clients, for well, mostly clients, where's the growth going to be? What's it going to look like? Uh, you know, TV advertising is going to go down somewhat, but I, but really, cable, <laughs> streaming, digital, the amount that's going to get spent in total is going to go up, and uh, and different and different people particularly ad agencies that are servicing their clients, saying, okay, where are we going to place our bets? How are we going to reach our consumers? And where their consumers are is, are changing every single day. And so everybody is sort of trying to figure that out. It, it's, you know, I just read uh, Mary Meeker of Kleiner Perkins issued her annual Kleiner Perkins report. I think there were 555 slides Good luck with that, yeah, yeah. trying to, oh, okay, this slide, that slide, et cetera. Uh, and so there's a lot of scrambling because we are in an, a time of transition to something, and no one is exactly sure where the, that transition is going to go. PJT Partners, uh, who you're involved with, uh, they consulted, advised on the Lionsgate Stars merger, which, you know, you, you got the satellite merger right. with the entertainment and all of right. that. How does that play into what's happening with sports in the context of sports increasingly, it seems, becoming synonymous with entertainment, where they're one and the same. Well, you know, one of the things, we're in an era, we're in an era of people out there, networks, saying we must have sports. PJT Partners is also advising Sky in the bid by the Murdochs in, in the UK and Europe uh, because sports has become so important to existence almost in terms of guaranteed live audiences. But, but I'm really, at PJT Partners, I'm really more of a student. Because, and that's why I love what I'm doing. Uh, at PJT Partners, I'm a student because I don't know that much about mergers, acquisitions, investment banking, and restructuring the like, although I'm having a ball learning from people who are just great at what they do particularly Paul Taubman. At, at PwC, they have this $12 billion strategy 
you know, operation, advisory alike, and they they have experts on everything, and I'm sort of like a <laughs> a naif wandering around saying, okay, teach me, and I add, okay, I'm not unduly modest. I was an executive for 30 years, but I was an operator more than, you know, and, and a media person, uh, and I'm also a senior advisor to Graycroft Partners, which is a venture capital firm run by Alan Patrickoff, uh, a storied investor, and... Uh, Again, they, I, when I first attended my first meeting, they were, I thought they were speaking in tongues because the acronyms of SDKs and APIs and MRRs and ARRs and CACs, etc. Guys, excuse me, what is it that you're talking about? Uh, but it's, they're all three learning possibilities, and they all speak to what is happening in the transformations or evolution of our you know, sort of media industries. Let's go to David Stern's portfolio of tech investments or uh, companies you advised on right. in terms of people you know advising in tech. What would be the general categories uh, that you're looking at and, and what are s- those companies in those different groups well, doing? I'm going to give you just the sports ones because one of the benefits of being involved with uh, such a successful firm is... Uh, as uh, a great core of partners is I get the opportunity to raise my hand on a wide variety of investments from f- from things l- from from everything from plus size fashion for women by a company named Eloquy to a, uh, a delivery service called Dropoff but focusing more on the sports side uh, live like VR I'm really interested to see what the you know, VR universe is going to be. It just was sort of a curiosity for me. I'm not a huge investor, but what's going, what's going to happen here? Uh, something called Fubo, which is a, st- Fubo TV, which is a streaming service that has deals with uh, not only B in Sport and Goal and uh, Univision, which sort of indicates its soccer roots, but it also now has deals with NBC, where it's going to be able to stream the Olympics and Fox Sports Regional and Fox, and there are other deals that are being wrapped up. So that's the, the whole transition of streaming. So this is both an investment but also a personal journey. Uh, there's a company called Shot Tracker, which uh, puts an RFID on your athletic shoe, uh, has an, uh, a sensor inserted in the Spalding basketball, and it just did the NAI tournament where it delivers real-time statistics. You can watch it. You can have it on your screen. If you're a fan in the arena, you can see what's going on. You know exactly what combinations the coach is not doing. (laughs) And you can be an expert, or you can be very supportive of the coach, or what have you. Uh, There's something called StatMuse, a company called StatMuse, which is Machine learning, artificial intelligence, someday I'll figure out the difference, takes every, everything you want to know, every statistic in the world about baseball, football, and the NBA, and you can ask it a question, uh, and you'll get an answer in chart or in graph form, which is really neat. I know that alphas like the Bleacher Report use it. Uh, Sportscaster that I just spoke about. Uh, Overtime, which is a 
a company that uh, is now turning to the high school uh, market and sort of next step, which is uh, let's look at the high school stars. It's amazing. There is a there is a community out there that knows everyone who's uh, older than 12 and probably younger too, and they, they follow it on a national basis, I guess. And finally, I, uh, there's a company called Keymotion, which is, uh, they'll install in your high school gym uh, or your college gym a camera that doesn't have to be manned. So it's just programmed. It's a little bit like a Tesla for sports broadcasting. And if you put it in the gym, every event that gets held in that gym, basketball, wrestling, volleyball, boys and girls at the high school level, and then ultimately you'll be able to, if you're a parent and your kid is playing, if, if you miss the game, you're just going to stream it onto your iPhone or your, or your Android device. And so there is sort of a personalization of types that, that I guess ties a lot of these together. It's going to allow fans and parents and all to access their, the games, but it's also going to allow you to access it in you know, sort of interesting ways. There's just all kinds of fun stuff. And the most fun is mostly young, energetic uh, entrepreneurs who have a dream and a passion and you know, it doesn't mean that it's accompanied by knowing how to market or, or run a business, but their passion is contagious because I'm a sucker. I believe everybody. You know, when, you, when I see someone who's really, a, seems like a good person, they're knowledgeable of what they're doing, uh, they believe in it, they think they're going to be successful, and I think they're going to be successful too. Then when I discuss it with some of my colleagues, they say, get over it, David, it's not happening that way. And sometimes it doesn't, and m most fail, actually, but we'll see. Were you also involved in a wearable technology outfit with Magic Johnson? That's, yes, Magic and I are both investors in Shot Tracker, because that's where, in effect, if you have it on your sneaker, your, did I say sneaker? That dates me. On your athletic <laughs> shoe, on your Nike, your Adidas, your Under Armour, that's wearable. Uh, I have, and I've talked to some of the others uh, because I think in wearable technology, we're going to get some really interesting answers. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. Business can be done from anywhere in the palm of your hand, and at the source. However you move your business forward, with Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. When the news release came out about one of the uh, firms that you were going to join, uh, the gentleman who ran the firm was quoted as saying, David Stern has one of the biggest Rolodexes in the world. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. And what came to my mind is I said, well, you know, with David going into so many different businesses and areas, it must be great to have that Rolodex to tap into, to bounce ideas off of. You know, that's exactly right. It's less about having, uh, you know, a Rolodex for introductions and more for being able to call up a Ted Leonsis, uh, 
who was a very active digital investor with his son, Zach, or Mark Cuban, who uh, I've, you know, and we have some common investments as well, or a Wick Grosbeck, who has uh, Causeway Partners up in Boston as a, as a seed and other type of an investor. Uh, or Dan Gilbert, who invests through three different venture capital funds. And, uh, you know, so it's, there's sort of a little, there's an investment community out there that uh, bounces ideas off of one another and co-invests in different areas as well. And, of course, knowing, uh, you know, Peter Guber out in Golden State, and he's a very active and much followed guru in all of sports, but also in... And, you know, Vivek Ranadive, the owner of Sacramento, and, and his infatuation with data. My question is, it seems to me that the NBA over the last several years has really attracted a lot of investors and owners that are really into technology, really into analytics. Uh, and what is it about the NBA that you think attracts these types of owners? That's a good question. I think that I think that they are, you know, they see it being being easily and more applied with respect to a, a sport that has five players uh, on the court at one time, and you can make more sense out of the interaction and the performance. It's harder. Uh, I think it's really something that that's unspoken that it's also a sport where you can see the players and you know who they are and you can then begin to apply what you're learning and the thought of what you're learning. It hasn't even begun yet, really, to be applied in game situations that much. But, uh, and I never really thought of it that way, as you described it, but, you know, we used to apply, we used to get uh, sort of computer and media types. You know, we had... Uh, Comcast was, uh, uh, you know, Philadelphia and Madison Square Garden, the Knicks and Paul Allen, uh, Portland and Ted Turner back in the day, the Hawks. Uh, but it's sort of it has changed to a, a sort of a next generation of entrepreneurs, each of which is, you know, is is doing their own thing. When you think about Dan Gilbert, what he's doing in Detroit uh, and rebuilding the city, or, uh, you know, or Ted Leonsis coming out of the AOL environment and, and the move to digital, and Mark Cuban doing everything. I can't even... It's not fair to characterize <laughs> him except for his original uh, broadcast.com that he sold to Yahoo, but he has nothing to do with that now he's just uh, transformed himself into a, an all-purpose person from, uh, you know, dancing with the stars to Shark Tank to uh, Entourage to uh, Billions. He's an actor, dancer, participant. Oh, yes, and he's, an, he's a politician and an investor as well. So, I, which I get a big kick out of, uh, uh, you know, when I, I've spoken to him recently about one of the companies that we're both invested in, and he... He uh, has good insights. He always had good insights. I, I think that also with all these changes in technology we're talking about, not just the owners, but I think uh, athletes like, you know, the high-profile ones, certainly like LeBron, um, 
they're going to use these things also to get into other ventures as well. Oh, oh there's no question that, our, that the athletes, certainly the better known ones, but maybe all of them, are getting involved in technology investments. LeBron uh, has started the Uninterrupted. Um, I've met with his fellow business partner, uh, Maverick Carter, to talk about some of those things. Uh, Kobe uh, has uh, Brian Stibel Ventures. I've met with, uh, you know, one of the laboring oars, Pete Del Grosso of of Stibel, of, 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 of Brian Stibel. Uh, the Players Tribune is really uh, a Derek Jeter. Uh, initially started, but he has a number of NBA players involved as well. And so you're going to see uh, a lot of players, both as investors and as brands. It's going to happen both ways. The, there's been a shift, in a way, where the players think of themselves as teammates, yes, but as individual brands as well. And it's going to be an interesting balancing act. And as intelligent investors, rather than just, you know, don't just use my, my likeness, use my brains. Yeah. Because they have a lot of experience and a lot of brains. <laughs> and it's fun to watch. Why do you think it is, at least it seems to me, that sports today, if, if you start with, let's say, owning a team, serves as a springboard, if you will, for so many other things now, whether it be real estate development, uh, uh, over-the-top distribution, uh, a regional sports network. H- how did we get from when you first were commissioner of the NBA to this point? Well, you know, Stan Kroenke, I, I haven't spoken to him in the last few months, but he was at a venture capital event. It's been reported to me secondhand. And he spoke about his experience in sports, and he said, and he credited me with one thing. And I, it sounded familiar, because that's what I say to owners. If you own a team, don't think of it just as a team. You have the opportunity to make real estate decisions and real estate investments that flow from the team. And by the way, Stan Kroenke is the most, <laughs> with, with, uh, uh, a hockey team, a basketball team, an MLS team, an NFL team, a Arsenal and the EPL. He has more sports and real estate than he you can imagine. I said, but you're also you're also a producer of uh, content coming out of your out of your facility, and that leads to the ability to have. Uh, a regional sports network that Stan started and owned. Um, And beyond that, you own the demographic, which is all the sponsors that want to reach the people who come into your building and and watch your content. So it's not a large step to say that from that opportunity, you just follow the evolution of what goes on and what comes, and they're... Our, our teams are uh, doing quite well, and our owners are doing quite well. Uh, of course, what I get a kick out of is our players are doing quite well. In addition to their salaries, they're spending more time 
doing a lot of different things, recognizing in addition, which I think is a, a kick, is how their images are shown on a global basis, so their global personality. So when you see the players that have gone to an NBA academy or an NBA trip in Mumbai or the Basketball Without Borders this year is going to make its 11th return to Africa and play an exhibition game in Africa or an NBA academy in China or a recently announced NBA series of games in China, again, exhibition games. It, it, you could see it sort of the ripples are flowing Hmm. with respect to the the growth of the game. And as the players go to the games, lo and behold, their athletic shoe and apparel companies say, well, while you're there, uh, and so it becomes a very uh, synergistic opportunity for the players and their business interests, the owners and their business interests, hmm. the teams and their business interests, and the NBA and its business interests all to work together to grow the game and to grow the business. And to your point about globalization, if I'm not mistaken, if you look at the sneaker deals that are the most lucrative, the athletes that have the richest sneaker deals, I would say they're probably almost all either in soccer or the NBA, which are two of the, you know, right. the global right. sports. No, I think that it's fun to watch. Kobe is actually has a large following in China. LeBron does too, and can KD and Russell Westbrook and James Harden be far, far behind? And a number of our players, I don't have a list, uh, you know, have deals with Chinese uh, manufacturers' athletic shoes because you've got the market going both ways. So there's a, a, a and, and I think uh, it's, uh, it's all healthy to have everybody working together. That's, uh, that's as it should be. What's your feeling about esports? You know, my feeling about esports is that, how do I say this? I think I may have aged out. <laughs> okay. You know, if you look at it in its component parts, it has athletes. You know, it, you're focusing on perhaps more muscle twitch uh, than strength. Uh, it fills arenas. If I have to listen one more time to the fact that the League of Legends uh, final at Staples Center outdrew the Lakers in the finals, there's a, you know, that's a little bit misleading. I'd have to know what the price was of the ticket. But having said that, so you've got athletes, you sell tickets. Uh, the statistics are there are 500 million people watching esports around the world. Uh, Amazon got a bargain when it bought Twitch for only a billion dollars and people are piling onto Twitch to watch other players practice. Okay? Uh, and now the League of Legends is selling franchises. The NBA announced that they'll be with the Take-Two, the video game manufacturer. There'll be an NBA Take two league, uh, where NBA franchises will compete against each other. So it, it sort of, is beginning to take on the trappings of a sports league of some kind. Uh, I've had a, the opportunity to, be to meet with, the League of Legends and the, uh, and the others, 
it's not something I'm getting involved in because actually my loyalty on league basis is to the NBA. Uh, but it's it's coming. Does that mean that when I, you know, last year, when I finished watching one of the playoff games, I guess it was on TNT, I turned to TBS to see their their uh, E E League something. Yeah, they're televising it. And yeah. I'm watching it. And I see someone, you know, lean around the corner and get his head shot off. It doesn't move me the same way that Kevin Durant or Steph Curry shooting a three or LeBron throwing one down does. It's a, a little different. Now, maybe if I were somewhat younger and I had grown up playing, uh, you know, League of Legends on my Xbox or my Sony PlayStation 3 or 4 or 6 or whatever it's going to be soon, uh, I would have a different approach. And I think... Mm. I think younger people will. So I think E-League is going to have future growth. Uh, It's just not going to include certain people that are aged out. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fun hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! Hey, it's Shaq. And when the NBA offseason explodes like it just did, you know we're all over it on the big podcast with Shaq. All summer, we're bringing you the biggest guests from the NBA, the biggest stars in Hollywood, and tons of great laughs. We're way bigger than a sports podcast. So check us out this week, the big podcast with Shaq, with new episodes every Monday at podcastone.com. This show is brought to you by the Business Platinum Card from American Express. However you move your business forward, With Business Platinum, it's not about where you are, it's about where you want to take your business next. And nothing helps you like the resources and know-how of the Business Platinum card, backed by the service and security of American Express. Using the old follow-the-money approach, I'm just looking at, you know, Michael Milken is invested in esports. Alex Rodriguez is invested in esports. I was talking to Rick Fox, former Laker not that long ago. He's invested in it. And, um, you know, I'm sitting here, these are sort of all different individuals, you know, ex-athletes, investment bankers, all sort of reaching the same conclusion that something's going to happen here. And I'm going, you know, maybe it's also something where if you look to, let's say, Asia, the guys who play, they're like rock stars there. Well, you know, one of the reasons I sort of just began following it is I thought it was very interesting that here was a sport that was emanating from outside the U.S. Mm, interesting. And that sort of made it very interesting to me because my focus tends to be on global. And so the fact that the U.S. was a trailing market was okay and maybe it will catch up because it sort of Korea is the epicenter. But I knew that something was cooking when I read that the Chinese esports team had signed up all the Korean free agents and taken the best players from the best team for their esports league. Aha! Uh-huh. Something's going on here that I don't quite understand. So you're right. You've focused on something that is 
you know, really global, not just a U.S. sport that is expanding, but a global sport that is beginning to get a, a foothold in the U.S. Interesting, you know, sort of jokingly talking about we're both really aged out from gaming, but uh, getting to sort of what you do invest in, uh, you know, like Warren Buffett would always say, you know, they'd ask him about his investment, let's say, in Coca-Cola or Dairy Queen or things like that. And he would say something to the effect, well, these are products I use. I like them. Yeah. Or the great uh, former investor, uh, Peter Lynch, Lynch at Fidelity, he, he, you know, would say. He would see that somebody's buying stock. Yeah, you know, never, ex- never buy anything you can't explain yeah, to a yeah, young kid yeah, what it does. Yeah. Is there sort of a litmus test you put yourself no, through at all? No. In fact, sometimes the litmus test is, if I don't understand it, I'll spend a long time trying to understand it. And it's sort of a, a sort of a litmus test of perpetual learning. Is there something here that I don't know? So let, whether I would do it or not, you try to connect uh, what fans, as they uh, mature, like and what new products and what new pursuits and the like. Uh, and so it's, it's almost the opposite for me. I, I, don't, I don't, you know, do I want to sit with a head-mounted display, HMD, or a headset mm. as the vernaculars, and watch an NBA game for two and a half hours? I don't think so. But there's something about this virtual reality, especially if there's a middle ground on the way to... You know, what, what's going to happen? Will we change to glasses rather than headsets? Will things happen? With, with Live-like, which I was intrigued by, it's sort of a separate, uh, it's sort of a, an approach on the march to that because they have something where you're sitting in a suite mm. that can be decorated in uh, logos and some advertising and there could be two avatars next to you watching the game with you, hooked in by Wi-Fi, representing your friends who you're going to watch the game with. So I'm saying that, that sounds interesting because, because the world is not rushing to VR yet. Maybe they are to augmented reality. But something that combines the social experience, and they have something called a magic window, which lets your Twitter feed go rolling by, or your, you know, your Facebook page, or you name it. So there's something that I'm trying to understand, and I said that, that looks more like the intermediate future than intensive VR. But I don't know, and I don't purport to know, and mm-hmm. so um, you, I'm watching it all just to see how it works. What would you say, David, is the key theme, or the over predominant theme, if you will, of your portfolio of sports investments? Predominant thing is that things are changing in the way we experience and produce games. And where is that going? Am I, you know, produce and absorb and consume. So as, as networks seek to cut down their expenses, is a game that uh, is produced... Uh, electronically, mm. so that you don't have to send, you know, 350 people to produce a game, or even mm. one, because there's going to be a feed that works right, and you don't even may not even have to send an announced team. And when you've got 
ESPN and ESPN2 and Fox Sports and Fox Sports2 and every regional sports network in the world and everything, they're going to be use, they're going to be looking to cut costs without giving up uh, quality. And if you could do all of this and deliver a high-definition feed, that's interesting. Is our, our fans going to absorb it differently? Uh, you know, wanting to get VR or wanting to assess information for wearable data? Well, that's interesting. Mm. Uh, I, you know, are you going to somehow this this thing called artificial intelligence, which is really going to take over our world? I, I don't mean it in a bad way. If you have an accounting job, like looking at invoices and doing other things, you're likely to be replaced by machinery in the not-that-distant future. Uh, uh, and that's, you know, that, that doesn't mean necessarily bottom-line job losses because there's all kinds of other mm. industrial buildup uh, that is going to have new jobs. But, but my question to myself is, what's the impact Mm. of all of this machine learning, artificial intelligence going to be on sports. It, it, has, to, it has to happen. Uh, and I guess the next question I have is, where is it going? Is it going to seep down into the high schools? The answer is yes. There's no high school kid who doesn't have his own reel now on his iPhone. I'm not, you know, there are di- different companies that are cutting up high school games or get them, send them to the Philippines. They're chopped up less expensively, gotten back to the coach. There's a community that's beginning to grow. And so, and, and I, of course, I cut out the colleges. But, you know, and, and the uh, ca- cameras such as key motion and, and wearable technology such as Shot Tracker are absolutely, positively going to be very strong at the collegiate level. Not everything is the pros here, because if you can track players shooting the ball, because you can with, uh, with Shot Tracker, then if you're practicing and you've got three courts at a Big Ten university, you can track three courts practicing, and you don't have the student managers tracking shots and statistics because it's going to be done electronically. I didn't mean, I, you know, they're going to eliminate right. that aspect of the student manager's job. And certainly our NBA teams are installing cameras in their practice facilities that allow the coaches to do things uh, and, uh, in, in great ways, and the colleges are doing the same thing. So there's an arms race of some kind focusing on these changes. What I, what I haven't what I really, I'm not sure I'll ever quite understand is how do you take all of the data that you're going to be creating about individual athlete performance and put it into the funnel so that you come up with a, a rational response? I, I understand it when it relates to judging candidates for being drafted or the like. Mm-hmm. It's just an intensified way that the combines do it now. How high can you jump, et cetera? They're going to get involved. Some of our teams and some others are going to, not, not NBA teams, but pro teams are going to, I think they might be doing it in Europe, getting involved in DNA analysis. I think that's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it's, but in this enormous pressure to win, 
there's nothing that's going to be uh, left out in terms of judging talent. The one area that I've seen recently, which I think is really interesting, is, um, how do I say this? I've seen a couple of companies that are going to help you more meaningfully strengthen areas of your body that have to be strengthened. That's not enough to know that if you do repetitions of a certain number Mm -hmm. that usually works, they're going to be able to judge your biology and to see whether that's making the progress that needs to be made. And I think that's going to be positive because they're going to be preventing injuries. Imagine if there were enough out there that gave you an extra year Mm. of every great superstar, either by keeping them younger or extending their career or what have you. I think that's an area that's going to be a growth area as well. Do you think high school sports is sort of the next untapped area? You know, I'm thinking about how we went back 30 years ago, professional sports teams were relatively untapped in terms of the economics. You know, we've seen what happened to team values. Then the next wave was college sports. We see what their TV rights are going for and their sponsorship deals. Is high school sports next, given the passion that so many towns have for their local teams? Part of that question that makes me uncomfortable. I'm going to pull my collar away. But, <laughs> but the answer is yes. There are startups out there, and are not such startups anymore, that are making deals with high school federations mm. and actually giving them these cameras that I'm talking about. There are many in the area. And so that you're going to have a proliferation of uh, television or at least capture of virtually every relevant high school sport. And then it's going to be monetized, and you're going to have advertising, and there are going to be others and other aspects of it, like assists with ticket sales and the like. Uh, it's, it's getting into an area that is... It, it's actually... It, I, I think it detracts from the Norman Rockwell picture of a picturesque softball game. I almost feel on like a, the genie's out of the bottle, though, already. Day. Well, I used to say that. You know, I, I, I used to say, look, I think more people saw LeBron when he was in high school on ESPN than saw Bill Russell and Chamberlain in their greatest days. So, yes, the genie is very much out of the bottle. Uh, but we want to do it with a little bit of taste, I think. Where do you see the future of fantasy sports going? You know, now, we, of course, the last few years we've had the daily fantasy games, which seem to have created a... Well, not seems to. They have been a lot yeah. more controversial. So, so I think that once you had fantasy, I don't think there was anything particularly left to argue about legalized sports betting. And I said that publicly, that eventually there's going to be legalized sports betting because, number one, fantasy is getting awfully close to being exactly that, number one. Uh, And number two, the statistics about the money that's bet in Las Vegas legally and the money that's bet outside of Las Vegas illegally that would otherwise go to the coffers of the states that adopt legal sports betting, uh, it's overwhelming that it has to be done. 
And so I think they'll ultimately legalize sports betting, and a fantasy will be a quaint uh, memory mm-hmm. at some point. But it was an interim uh, opportunity. Americans love to bet. I, I shouldn't say Americans. The world loves to bet. In fact, we're, we're very much behind in a certain way. If you call it behind, mm-hmm. you want to bet on a soccer game, just go into the stadium and make the bet. And you want to bet an in-game bet, which is, I guess, we would call here a proposition bet. You can do that in game, in the game. You know, where's the next score? Who's going right. to do it? What do you think? And of course, now there are a couple of startups, even in the fantasy space, that are focusing more on what you or I would call proposition bets. Is the is the quarterback going to throw? Is he going to do this? Is he going to do that? And they they sort of award cash prizes, but they say they're not betting because you didn't put down cash. But I think everyone is going to be waiting until to see whether Congress ultimately revises, amends, or otherwise changes the, the law that precludes sports betting in all but the four states that had it in 1992. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Introducing the all-new crossover, Toyota CHR. Embrace the unexpected. It's a little edgy and effortlessly takes center stage with its distinctive style and unique spirit. Uniquely expressive, CHR's precision-cut lines let it shine from every angle. Born from the ingenuity of a race car driver, CHR's is designed to maximize driving pleasure every time you turn the wheel. Know that while you embrace and express that bold spirit in the smartest way possible, tucked away neatly throughout your CHR are advanced safety features and measures that are designed to help keep you alert and safe in the event of an accident. Because, as any good driver knows, accidents can happen, and when it comes to driving, the best defense is a smart offense. Visit toyota.com slash c-hr to learn more. Drivers are responsible for their own safe driving. Always pay attention to your surroundings and drive safely. Depending on the conditions of roads, weather, and the vehicle, the systems may not work as intended. And then just because you don't have enough to do, uh, not that long ago, you, you also began helping your alma mater, Rutgers, a little bit, I, you and know, advising them. Uh, yeah. Did you get bored for a second? No, I mean, how'd that no, come no. about? I just, I, just uh, I think Rutgers bit off a lot when they went into the Big Ten. And I've become friendly with Pat Hobbs, the athletic director, the new athletic director there. And anything that I can do to take a call or be helpful, I'm happy to do. And my other alma mater is uh, Columbia, where I went to law school. And I sort of uh, talk occasionally to the athletic director, Peter Piling, there. And... uh, you know, you do what you're going to do. And actually, I feel as though I've gotten time back to two uh, things that I've done over the years. I actually had the Thurgood Marshall Scholarship Fund, which supports, it's actually now called the Thurgood Marshall College Fund, that supports the historically black colleges and university, the public ones. That's enabled me to sort of get more involved in the board and sort of either cause trouble or do, or do good stuff. And the same is true of Jazz at Lincoln Center, which I'm on the board of and have been neglecting a little bit, but now I'm spending more time there and having 
a good time as well. Do, do you feel I, Rutgers joined the Big Ten? I think it was 2014, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there. Do, do you think when all these schools, these colleges, many of them were shifting around and, and the co- conferences were realigning, that the case of like Rutgers, where they were coming from, it was the Big East, were they uh, unprepared in terms of how the business model had to change? You know, you can't be prepared if you haven't been doing it. Mm. You can try to be prepared. And the Big Ten is a big business model with big budgets for recruitment and the like. And here comes Rutgers and Maryland. Uh, And Mm. they negotiated a deal that was not on an, shall we say, a level playing ground. So for some number of years, I don't know what Maryland's deal was, but Rutgers' deal leaves them at an economic disadvantage as well. And so much of what you're doing in terms of recruiting and the like depends upon finances. It's age old uh, and you need to have a, you know, a, a built up business apparatus to raise money, sell sponsorships, do other things. Uh, I'd say you always start slowly, but I think that Rutgers will catch up. And I hear you still know the Rutgers fight song. <laughs> it's changed. It's changed. When I went to Rutgers, it was all male. <laughs> you know, my father sent me to old Rutgers and resolved that I would be a man. That's not, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> you know, guys, like we've been, talk about aged out, you've aged out of the lyrics as well. They have better lyrics now. You know, in watching your career and, and reading about you, in my own mind, one of the things that I think uh, has fascinated to me the most and, and ties a lot of the progress together, uh, history together, is that you were a history major at, at Teaneck High School. And you've, you've said during this interview a few times, the learning process, the learning process. How does that play? You know, well, history is fascinating. Well, you know, I, I sort of take it at a sort of slightly different level. I was a history and poli-sci major at Rutgers, but that's what you do if you don't want to be an engineer. <laughs> you don't want to. You can't be a doctor. You don't want to go into a, you know, into a retail training program. You do history, poli sci, and then you go to law school. That's what I did. But what I think, I when I was coming of age at the NBA, I, I was struck by the talk of and the books on learning organizations. And I said, we are going to be a learning organization. Whatever we do, we're going to be lifelong learners at the NBA on every subject. And every subject became, what are we doing in television? What are we doing about events? What are we doing about globalization? What's happening in the licensing business? Do we buy our sources of supply or do we take the 14% guaranteed and do that? And we were always, you know... My colleagues used to make fun of me. Okay, David's going to say, when we tell him this, well, what does this company do or that company? And they weren't allowed to come in and say, this is what other sports leagues do. No, 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 no. It's not about just the sports league, although that's important. Mm -hmm. What are the best in class doing? Because we're going to learn everything we can learn about. And, And it soon got to be that despite the masters, Drucker on management, et cetera, you had to read the newspapers to learn what was going on because things began to move so fast that Forbes and Fortune and Business Week and 
the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times, you know, they became sort of places where you learned because you were exposed to what everything else, to everything else that other people were doing and where shifts were occurring. And, and I think the NBA to, to this date under Adam Silver is doing such a spectacular job because Adam is a great acquirer of knowledge and a watcher of the global scene. And so they're doing things that seem, at least to this person, as the most progressive in all areas. And that's because of a culture that's been embedded, not just at the top, but in the organization itself. Uh, where where they, you know, it comes, it expresses itself in different ways. We push at each other. We try to make, okay, we just finished an All-Star game. What did we learn? What can we learn from other events? And how are we going to do it differently and better next year? And that is, that's so much fun. And to me, in my personal journey, it's so much fun to be learning different disciplines that were not part of my original playbook as I... Uh, <laughs> as I, uh, you know, was at the NBA, I one of the interesting things that I've done a couple of times is uh, is go talk to. Uh, I've been requested to talk to a startup or two. And, uh, they're gathered at their offsites, etc. Mm-hmm. They have thirty or forty or fifty people, and I said, "Okay, I'm going to talk to you about startups." And you can see the look on their face. What does this guy know about startups? I said, "Well." In 1978, I was the 24th employee of the NBA. So shut up and listen. Uh, it's been quite a journey, but that's the part. Of, that's the fun part. The fun part is the. Where did you get that attitude from? That when you first get to the NBA, you know we're going to be best in class. We're going to learn. Well, that didn't happen right away. The, when we were in the NBA, we, we, when I got to the NBA, it was we're going to survive because everyone had written us off. But as we got through crisis after crisis and got through opportunity after opportunity, it dawned on us collectively, the, the spectacular colleagues of mine, that there was a that what we were doing, you know, wasn't even though it was in the context of sports, it wasn't unique. There were parallels in other industries, and we should find out the best way to approach each of the problems that we, you know, overcame. And then the the question becomes, well, how do we take advantage of the opportunities? Mm. Rather than overcoming Mm. the problems, we were exploiting the opportunities. And And that required us to make judgments on behalf of the NBA, but I think unless you're hugely uh, uh, immodest, you, you start every day by thinking you can learn from everything else that's going on around you, and what can you learn from everybody. And sports, from my own experience, is something that is out there in the open, so you can copy mm. best practices easily. You know, uh, uh, when I got involved with the NBA, the model for having a licensing organization was NFL Properties. Okay. And Pete Rozelle, aha, a name from the past, was so gracious in introducing me to the people at NFL Properties and he went around and listened, etc. The, the production of video was NFL Films, you know, 
John Facender, the stentorian voice, oh my God. Or Major League Baseball Productions, Mel Allen, you know, This Week in Baseball. We can do that. So when I was general counsel, I prepared a plan for Larry O'Brien, the then commissioner. I, we have a great idea, Larry. It's really original. Let's buy three-quarter inch VCRs for each of our teams so we can record our games. Oh, that's an interesting idea. You know, just where have we been? So, so we, we copied. You know, first you imitate before you originate. Uh, and that's what we were doing. And it was always best practices, see what you can do. Uh, it would have been foolish of us to say, oh, we're going to invent something that doesn't exist. Because it, it pretty much existed, and we were a little bit behind the eight ball there. How did you go from graduating Columbia Law School to being outside counsel of the NBA? I took a job at a very uh, well-respected and elegant firm, which at the time was known as Proskauer Rose, Getz, and Mendelssohn, and now called Proskauer Rose, and now still uh, one of the lawyers that the NBA uses and has developed quite a sports practice. Uh, and lo and behold, I found out after I joined that they represented the NBA. And that's how I, you know, and I went in and lied to the senior partner, said, if you need me, I'm available for anything. Uh, and when a, one of the associates left to go home to Philadelphia, I got, I got pulled in on a case in about the same year that I uh, graduated law school, maybe a, a little bit later than that. And then I spent uh, increasing amounts of time on the NBA until Larry O'Brien in 1978 said, why don't you, you know, leave the partnership at the firm and come be the 24th employee of the NBA in its first general counsel, which was generally uh, regarded as being nuts. Uh, but I, I did it, and I loved the practice of law, and the firm had said that if I wanted to, I could come back in something up to three years. And that was 36 years later, I stepped down as commissioner, having been commissioner for 30 years. Why were you, given the state of the NBA at the time you became commissioner, uh, why were you unafraid about taking over? Maybe I was stupid. I don't know. I was disconnected from the business. I was really, I'm just a basketball fan. I grew up on the Knicks. I lived in Manhattan and Chelsea. My dad and I used to go to games on Thursday nights. I used to use my geo card to go to games on Saturday for 50 cents. I used to read the Daily Mirror and the Daily News from the back and the Post from the back. Uh, so it was like, to me, a chance that was great. And in addition, I, I enjoyed the legal work so much that if I didn't go, I thought maybe Larry would hire someone else and I wouldn't do any more legal work. So there was a little bit of self-interest in that. Uh, but it's the uh, machinations of a, of a basketball fan. What did you learn the most working for your dad's deli? Everything I needed to know. It's about customer service. It's about repetition. It was, you know, what I got to do was packing out the same orange juice and milk and cleaning up the same stuff, but getting it right. Uh, and standing behind the counter and waiting on trade and doing things right and being proud about whatever you did. And so I, 
you know, they used to say everything I learned, everything I know I learned in kindergarten, everything I know I learned at uh, Stern Salkatessen. I just have one more question, that's it. What do you think is the overriding picture of what's happening in sports right now? I think that sports has been recognized as something that, number one, makes networks, stops the world, Olympics, World Cup and the like, by attention, brings people together. I learned that when Nelson Mandela himself told me that before he was president and we had visited South Africa. Sports brings people together. And every time I watch the scene in Invictus where he takes the field in support of the uh, South African mostly white rugby team, you see that he lived it. I think that sports has been recognized as teaching values of discipline, hard work, most important teamwork, and giving kids across the world a sense of self-confidence. I've seen that myself in different places. Uh, I could tell story after story, but it's, it's amazing. Um, and, and so I think that sports is really being recognized for the values that it brings, the uh, relaxation that it brings in terms of people putting, you know, having a drink or what have you and watching a game with relatives or friends or the like, and knowing that at that moment you're sharing that experience with people the world over, whatever the sport happens to be. And so I think of it as a, a, a positive, very positive force in society. And, as a, and its business has been getting better because of that and the ability of people to sort of monetize that reality. So I grew up a huge Nick fan, huge Ranger fan, loved all the New York sports. My parents were born and raised in New York City. Clyde Frazier, Willis Reed, you know, the captain. What can we do about the New York Knicks? And and, and isn't that something that really needs to be turned around for the betterment of the NBA? You Aravists, people who (laughs) who have only come most recently. I grew up on Harry Gallatin, Carl Braun, Richie Guerin, Ray Felix, Kenny Sears, recently deceased, uh, Charlie Tyre, I grew up on losing, okay? So you just, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, the, you, the question is, are they your players? And I think when the Knicks actually come back to that, that is to say, let's get a group of players together, let's add to them, but let's not revolve them in and out all of the time, uh, it'll be fine. Uh, they have some talent, and I'm sure that Phil Jackson will add some additional talent. And uh, we'll have to wait to see whether it includes every player on his roster right now, uh, one in particular. But uh, uh, if you're a fan, you're a fan. And, oh, by the way, the NBA's growth has been unimpeded by the current record of the New York Knicks. So it's... It's now such a dispersed league and social media and globalization have become so important that it's not about any one or two teams in the NBA. 
Great. Okay. You're the best. These fans are all alike. I know. I'm a homer. I'm terrible. a homer. Thank you very much, Mr. Stern. Thank you. Call me David. Thank you, David. That's it for this episode of Forbes Sports Money. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with a comment or question, please email us at sportsmoney at podcastone.com. That's O-N-E dot com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. It's peak season for asparagus, which pairs perfectly with a light and crisp rosé. Mini bottles of champagne and sparkling wines are perfect for adult Easter baskets. And they're really cute, too. My perfect brunch? Belgian waffles with extra whipped cream and a holiday pour of your sweetest rosé. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, They are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower... It does not appear to be following, following the rule of law. It is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.